Welcome to You Are Not A Goat. If you want to follow your passion and do what you love, this is the podcast for you. Without further ado, here's your host, Slimy Zions. Hello and welcome to the very first full episode of You Are Not A Goat. My name is Shlomi Zions and I am your host. Firstly, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I've been getting messages from people all over the world who are excited. They listened to the trailer. They were looking forward to the first full episode. I am also looking forward to the first full episode. And in order to start off the podcast in a fashion that I felt most people would appreciate, I tried to think about what subject would people like hearing about in the very first full episode. And what I came to was travel. Perhaps it's just me, but I don't think it's just me. I love travel. Most people I know love travel. And I've never really met anybody who said, oh, travel, that's so boring. Travel is fascinating. Going to new places, meeting new people, understanding new cultures. And therefore, I found it suitable to host a guest who is a full-time traveler. His name is Drew Binsky. He's a nice Jewish boy from the United States. And for the past six or seven years, he's been traveling the world full-time with a goal to visit every single country in the world. There are about 195 countries, uh, plus two or three or minus two or three. I'm not sure exactly what the number is. It does change from time to time. As every now and then, a new nation is formed. Anyhow, Drew Binsky has been to over 150 of these countries, meaning that he's more than 75% complete in his mission to visit every country in the world. What's amazing about what Drew is doing is not only is traveling his passion and something he enjoys, but he actually managed to turn it into a full-time business by making YouTube videos, Facebook videos, blogging, getting sponsorships. I think he even does some some of his own like tours in Asia and stuff like that. So I had a conversation with him last week. It was fascinating and I'd like to share it with you guys. So without any further ado, here is Drew Binsky. Hey Drew, welcome to the show. How's it going, Shlomi? It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on the program. No problem. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I chanced upon some of your videos. I'm not sure if it was on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, I see that you're working on traveling to every country of the world. And number one, how old are you? I'm 27. Wow. And how many countries have you been to? I've been to 161. I have 36 more, which I'm planning to finish in January of 2020. Wow. And how long has this journey been? Like, when did you start? January 2012. So about seven years ago. I studied abroad in Czech Republic. That was my first time overseas. Actually, I take it back. My first time overseas was it was birthright in 2009. Um, and in 2012, I moved to Prague for six months mm -hmm. and traveled all around Europe that semester. That like opened up my eyes to the world. Grad went back to Wisconsin, graduated, and then moved to South Korea to teach English for two years. While I was in Korea, started a travel blog to document my you know my journey, and that evolved into social media, Snapchat, Instagram. And that evolved into video making. So now I make daily videos on Facebook and YouTube. Got almost a billion overall views, uh, 3.3 million followers, and wow. trying to trying to visit every country. 
So let's take a step back. You grew up in Wisconsin? I grew up in Arizona, but I just went to school in Wisconsin. Okay. And um, what's your family situation like? Like, were your parents into travel at all? Not really. We traveled domestically. I used to play competitive hockey and golf, so I would travel around the States. But, you know, family trips to the Bahamas, Mexico, Canada, the typical American trips. But no, um, we, we didn't really... My, my my sisters and my parents are not huge travelers overseas, so it's just me. Right, and when did your interest in travel start? You said that was when you went to Prague? Yeah, when I went to Prague in 2012 for, for six months, yeah. And did you go to Prague because you wanted to travel, or you just like the only option, and then from there it opened your eyes? No, it's just, um, I always liked geography as a kid, you know, like learning about the world and memorizing the cities and countries and capitals. So that stuff was always interested me. But the first opportunity to live abroad was Prague. So I jumped on it and I just went without knowing any friends, went to Prague and traveled all over Europe that semester. It was incredible. And that like solidified my travel bug. I guess that's where I got the travel bug. And from then on out, it's history, man. (laughs) So... You did six months in Prague. What was the next big trip from from when you, like, leaving Europe, let's say? Leaving Europe, I went back to the States. Um, I I spent one more year of college, my senior year in 2012, 2013. And then as soon as I graduated, May 2013, like two days later, jumped on a plane to South Korea uh, just because I thought it was a great opportunity, again, to live abroad. I was teaching English. I was in a small... Yeah, it's 30 kilometers south of Seoul. So basically, yeah, Seoul. Uh, but I was the only foreigner in my like village area and um, lived there for two years, can speak Korean, loved it, trained to be a black belt in Taekwondo. I was like fully immersed in Korean culture and um, traveled all over Asia that semester, or those two years, sorry. And I'm still living in Asia. It's 2019 and I'm still in Asia. So six, five years, six years in Asia. And where yeah. are you based out of? I'm based in Bangkok, but I'm currently in Malaysia, um, and I won't be back home in Bangkok until August. I'll be in the next upcoming few months are Philippines, Pakistan, Norway, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, then back to the Philippines, then to the U.S., and then to North Africa, West Africa. Wow. Now, from my understanding, I mean, first of all, can you tell me some of the notable places you've been, like places that are harder to get to that most people would not have been to? Like, as an Amer- which passport? American, Israeli? Israeli is hard to go many places, right, like Malaysia, where I am now. American, I assume. Yes. So are you talking about as an American passport holder, yeah. what's hard to get into? Yeah. Um, Iran was tough, but that's one of my favorite countries in the world. Right. Um, Pakistan was really tough. I just got the visa. Afghanistan was tough. I just did two... Two of the top five hardest visas I got in the last like week. <laughs> um, Yemen and Syria are the two hardest, which I've never been to yet. Um, but other than that, it's just a matter of applying for the visas, having the right paperwork, um, and then waiting and paying a lot of money. This is expensive, man. Like a lot of African visas, you're talking like two to three hundred bucks each, wow. and you're talking like thirty to forty visas. So do the math. Just, that's just for visas. Talking about flights, talking about flights to some of these remote countries. Last month, I did all the Pacific except for uh, Vanuatu and Palau. So I did nine countries, and there's one flight a week to a country called Tuvalu. Yeah, it's the third third least visited country in the world. They get like 200 tourists a year, a year. So that's oh like goodness. you know, um, and the flight cost me 1,200 one way from Micronesia to Tuvalu. 
1200 US dollars one way um, and it had five layovers to get there. So it, it's like super remote, man. Like nobody, very few people have heard of this country and have visited this, these countries. It's not only Nauru. I mean, it's not only Tuvalu. It's Nauru, Kiribati, Micronesia. All these little countries um, are, are tough. Actually, I've never even heard I don't a lot need of these a visa. Places. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't need a visa, so they're not tough to enter, like paperwork-wise. But to plan and to 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 spend the money, it's a lot. It's it's tough. And can you tell me a little bit about Iran? That sounds like a really exotic place. Almost no American citizens travel there, and it's very hard to get there. What was that like? Uh, Iran's incredible. As an American, you have to be on. It's mandatory to be on a guided tour. Mm -hmm. So I had to um, go with a company, and I had to have a tour guide. With I was there for 16 days last June. Um, but yeah, it's unbelievable place like the hospitality the people are so friendly more than anywhere else i i tend to say that a lot you know people are friendly in lebanon and israel whatever but in iran it's just like over the top they love americans they love jews i i love what part of my thing is like i think i'm going to be the first jewish person to visit every country when i'm done i think so i don't know of any others that have um but um i love telling people that i'm jewish in muslim countries it's one of my favorite things to do Actually, I had a TED talk yesterday, and one of my main themes was being a Jewish person traveling around countries like Malaysia and stuff like that, and opening up. And not once have I come across face to face, eye to eye, with someone who said anything negative about Judaism. And I probably talked to, I want to say thousands, but probably hundreds of people in in Muslim countries about yeah. Judaism. So it's it's a beautiful thing. Wow. And why do you so? I'm also Jewish, obviously. I travel First, a lot. I see the pace. Yeah. I don't travel nearly as much as you do, but I do get around a lot because of my work. I was in Lebanon in the summer. I went to nice. Saudi Arabia in December. And Dude, cool. Yeah, I mean, did, were you there yet? No, but you have an Israeli passport? No, I don't. Oh, you have a U.S. passport. Yeah, but they, it's even hard to get a visa there because they just don't give them out. There was a one window in December where they Correct. opened up for the... I know, with the, with the sporting event. I yeah, know about you, it. What, like, wasn't that interesting to you? I, I was traveling. I couldn't fit it in my trip, but I, I will be in Saudi soon. And we should talk separately about that, not on this podcast. Okay, awesome. So anyway, um, I don't know. I don't feel as comfortable as, as you do telling people I'm Jewish because... I don't know, I just feel like it could put me in a situation where I'd be, it's possible that I'd be in danger. When? When have you felt like that? And where? Uh, mostly Lebanon. Saudi Arabia wasn't as bad. I, I, some people did know that I was Jewish, but Lebanon, I was really scared. People were nice and yeah. everything, but it just, I didn't tell anyone that I was Jewish. I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, I, I kind of know what you mean. Also, not, I mean... You you ha you look more Jewish than me by the physical appearance. Right, so, so I, I have to alter my appearance. Yeah, so maybe that's also something to do with it. I I, I don't know, but you know, I guess I just I'm a risky person. I guess that's what it comes down to. Right. I mean, yeah, technically I could tell someone I'm Jewish and they could cut my head off, but so far that hasn't happened. So. Right. Well, you know, this is the first time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So, yeah. uh, you went to Iran and. You said you were there for 16 days. Did you feel threatened by anyone at all? Like some people feel like the government there is rogue and, and, you know, they might use an American citizen as a bargaining chip. How did you, you know, get yourself comfortable with the fact that you're visiting a really what what the United States would consider an adversary nation? 
Sure. So first of all, governments do not equal the people, especially in Iran. Whatever you see on the media, whatever you hear about is the government only and the people are completely different. Um, that's the just how it is. The government is still in charge. Yeah, the government is in charge, of course. But once you're on the ground, I'm not talking to the government ever unless I do a crime. Right. I mean, when am I ever when in any country? When do I ever talk to the government? I'm just talking to the people. Of course, I'm obeying the rules. I'm being a, I went to North Korea. When you're in North Korea, you cannot talk about the leaders, past, current, or present leaders. Like, I mean, you can't mention the name Kim Jong Un, or they will come after you, like they did to that one guy. Right. If you remember, you know. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So you just gotta like, you know, know where you are and 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 play the role and just don't do anything stupid. However, that being said. This is a really long story, so I'll make it like in like 20 seconds. Um, when I entered Iran, I was on a tourist visa. And when I was on the plane there, the government found out that I like make videos as a living and I make money through my videos. So they wanted me to be on a journalist visa. And so for that reason, they kept calling my tour guide and asking him like, you know, all these questions about what I was filming and making sure I wasn't, you know. Yeah, it's a much longer story than that. So the government was watching me in Iran. So that's why I decided not to post anything live. I posted everything when I left Iran. Um, and actually, when I left and I uploaded all my content in Iran, the government loved it so much. And this is a true story that they invited me back to Iran, all expenses on them, like the tourism board, the government, the Ministry wow. of Foreign Affairs. I was about and, to ask you if you feel comfortable yeah. going back after you published Oh, yeah, they, 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 they loved it. So they were skeptical of what I was going to post. They knew I, they knew I, I had been to Israel, by the way. They, they like stalked my social media. They stalked everything. And you're, you're not allowed to go to Iran if you've been to Israel. But they let me get in. Um, and now they invited us back. And I'm going to go next year because um, they loved my... Dude, my videos in Iran had 40, about 40 million views between Facebook and YouTube. I made 15 videos in Iran. And um, I, I to this day, I get like dozens of emails daily from Persians that are like, wow, thank you so much, you know. You made my country look wonderful, and it is wonderful. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So now that we talked a little bit about the traveling, um, can you tell me a little bit about the business aspect of things? What is it that you do? Like, how do you make money? Sure. So it started off as travel blogging with a B, and I would just document my, you know, trips and whatever. So you um, got some paid advertising I, on your on your site? Yeah, paid advertising. Got some free hotels, free free flights, whatever. Yeah. That transitioned into Snapchat. So I got on Snapchat in January 2015 before a lot of creators, before a lot of brands were on it. You know, it was a you're American. It was huge in the U.S. like in 2015, 16, 17. Not not 17, 15, 16. And those I feel two like years. It's passed, though. I feel like Snapchat yeah. is is. Uh, oh, it's gone. Down. It's dead now. Yeah. It's dead now. But. 2015 and 16, I was making a full-time living collaborating with brands on Snapchat. Wow. Like I was making thousands of dollars per, you know, per month. Just I got invited to go to the Olympics in Rio by them, and Snapchat it was crazy, man. Um, and then that evolved into videos when my girlfriend bought me a nice camera, and she said you should start posting on on YouTube and Facebook. So I did. A couple of my first videos went viral, and um, I started focusing only on video. I dropped blogging. And I make I make money through advertisements on Facebook and YouTube, and then sponsorships through travel brands, companies, airlines, whatever like that. I, uh, tourism boards, but I tend to do less and less of those because I want to like stay authentic. I don't want to be like, hey guys, yeah. say, hey guys, buy this water bottle. It's the best brand. Like I don't do that crap. So I just um, I try to stay true and authentic. And yeah, advertisements. So the more views I get on a video, the more money I'll make essentially. Wow. And um, do you have somebody 
helping you like edit or film or do you have like people working for you? Yeah, in the room right next to me right now is uh, my buddy Michael. He's a Canadian uh, filmmaker and I brought him onto the team four months ago and he travels with me full time. I pay him salary and cover all of his travel to film and also to help edit. Um, and then I have a couple assistants who go through my messages on Facebook, Instagram, email. I get over a thousand messages a day, private messages. Wow. And she kind of filters through them and um, she reaches out like if I need a, if I'm going, I'm going to Japan next month. So she's reaching out to find some potential sponsors and stuff like that. Right. So there's a lot of these kind of people running around the world. Obviously, most of them aren't as big as you. Like you're one of the really big ones who are practically living abroad full time traveling. Um, a lot of them are just like sort of in it just to get by, meaning as long as they can pay for their travel, sure. they'll keep going. Sure. But that's not you. This is like a real business. This is profitable. Yeah, yeah. This is six-figure plus profitable. I mean, nice. last year. Nice. But it's it. two years ago, it was not even one-fifth of that. So my, inc my income jumped a lot last year because Facebook... Facebook rolled out their advertising, just like YouTube. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen my or any Facebook videos, but you'll see a little ad in there, okay. and that generates a lot of income. Like, it can be exponential growth, man. If a video hits, I've had five videos on Facebook that have hit over 10 million views, and um, you get about a thousand bucks per. Uh, sorry, yeah, you get about a thousand bucks per million views. So it's crazy, man. Wow. So would you call yourself a YouTuber or no? I don't like to, I hate that word because when I think of a YouTuber, I think of like someone who just sits in front of the camera and talks, hey, this morning for breakfast, I ate cereal and it was so good. Like, I don't do that crap. I just promote travel experiences. I show like people places that they never heard about. I talk about, you know, economics. I studied economics in school, so I'm really interested in that kind of stuff, how cultures work and all that stuff. Um, and I, I just talk about things that are interesting and things that matter, topics that matter. So... I think I'm more than just a YouTuber who just puts a camera in front of their face and talks about their life struggles. Right. And um, do you ever plan on settling down or you just want to keep doing this forever? I'll keep doing this until I finish the countries, like at this rate, right. um, which is in about a year. And then I would like to get a show on American television. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, everybody says that, right? So you, you do, I mean. But not everyone's as big would, as you. I guess so, but you know. Everyone wants to be. Everyone who moves to LA wants to be an actor in Hollywood, and even the ones who are have already big TV shows, they can't become that big actor in Hollywood. You know, so it's it's something that I want to do, but I'm gonna keep doing the little steps to get there, basically. And when you say you want to get a show, you mean something like uh... Anthony Bourdain, what he had yeah. on CNN, like a big travel show. I think I'm still too young. Like, I'm naive in their eyes, right? I'm 27. Anthony right. Bourdain was 60. And a lot of these travel hosts are in their 40s and 50s because I guess you're, you're wiser the older you are. So maybe I just need to wait a couple years. But yeah, regardless, like, I'm having fun, man, just making videos on my own and traveling. So I'm, I'm not in a hurry to get a TV show. That would just be, um, I guess, a goal of mine. Yeah, yeah but you could definitely do it because, as they say, everyone in Hollywood, you know, working in a coffee shop or being a waiter everyone's an actor everyone's this but the fact is most of them don't have anything to show for themselves they're just good someone point. who wants to be an actor and you actually have a huge following so that's a good point I think it's really and it's also about doable. networking as well yeah, yeah networking as well so for sure hope so yeah well good luck with that thanks um, man now what would you say to other people who would like to do something 
similar to what you're doing. Is it still possible for someone to start and really make it? Or would you say like the time has passed and you're too late? 100% possible, but it is a lot of freaking work. And I cannot even stress how much, I mean, everyone says that they don't have time to do anything, right? But I literally don't have time making daily videos. I, I sleep about four, maybe five hours if I'm lucky at night. So let's say I'm up at seven and I go to bed at, you know, two and the whole day. So that's 18 hours. If I did my math right, 17, 19, whatever. Right. All that time I'm scripting, filming, editing, mostly editing, um, coming up with ideas, finding locals to shoot with, finding locations, all that stuff. Um, it's full time. Even anytime, man, I'm on the metro, I'm sitting on the toilet, I'm walking around. Anytime I, like, I'm writing scripts, I'm filming, it's like, even when I'm at lunch, it's crazy, man. It's like nonstop. Because I make video every day, which is right. my choice. I can make three videos a week. But I started doing dailies, and you get that, like, momentum going. And then, like, I can't, like, slow down. It's, like, addictive, you know? It's like you've got to keep pushing it forward, so. And is yeah. there none of that work that you can outsource? Um... Not really. That's why I hired Michael to come with me because he's right. physically with me. But I can't send people footage on Wi-Fi because, of course, in Malaysia and in Thailand, it works fine. But when I go to Africa, the Wi-Fi is horrible, man. I can't just send someone 10 gigabytes of footage to edit and send it back to me. And I have such a quick turnaround time that I need to post every 24 hours. So it would take me just as long to send them the footage than to just edit the video myself. So the answer to your question is... No, unless they're traveling with me, which I have now, then I can't uh, outsource any video. I could outsource blogging, like someone wants to write on my website, but you know, blogging to me is a thing of the past. So, is this just a thing of the past for you, or it's a thing of the past period? I think period because everything is moving towards video. L look at Facebook, man, and Instagram. Everything you see now is like a video. I right. remember like just a couple years ago on Facebook, it was not many videos. It's just like fo you know, photos and people's statuses. I don't ever see statuses anymore. I just see video. Scroll your Facebook now. Not, you right. don't have to, but you know, you just see videos, videos, yeah, videos. Instagram didn't every... even have a video option. Yeah, Instagram didn't even have video. And now mostly I'm seeing videos. So I just think people's attention span is getting lower and lower. And maybe the older generation is still reading. I don't know. They still read newspapers, I guess. And they still read blogs. But my target market, which is 18 to 30, um, they're not reading anything. They're just watching a two minute video. So I'm focused on that. Right. And obviously, you know who Nas is, right? Yeah, he's actually a good friend. I've met him six or seven times. Okay, so I met him once. Nice guy. Um, he was doing the daily videos, but he told me it was like really affecting his health. Like he couldn't, uh, couldn't do it anymore. Dude, it's, oh, you uh, interviewed him on the podcast. I didn't interview him. I just had a conversation with him. I met him at yeah, it's, in Israel. It's true, man. Like, um, you know, it, it's definitely true. I, I struggle with the same things that he used to struggle with. He doesn't do daily anymore. For that they reason. Move too weekly. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's affecting yeah, just, his wallet? Uh, probably, but I don't think he cares. He's he's doing bigger things. He's trying to do the you know this. Started. I don't even know. Stuff, yeah. I don't even know what he's doing. But honestly, I I don't think that that ever bothered him. Okay. And yeah. um, how would you say travel has changed you? Um, good question. Like. You know, when, you know, I went to Hebrew school, I had a bar mitzvah, talking about the Judaism stuff, but 
you know, we were always told, or I was told, that Muslims are not the nicest people. You know, I just, you know, I, I was intimidated. The word is intimidated. I was intimidated by them. I would hear about all the terrorists were Muslims. Yeah, 9 11 to, really, I think, really yeah, 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 damaged yeah. society. It put, it put a dent in my brain. Yeah. As a, I, was, I was in fifth grade when that happened. So, as a fifth grader, what do you think, right? Yeah. So, then I went to Muslim countries. I've been to many, those are my, all, all my favorite countries are in the Middle East, pretty much. And I realized that Muslims are incredible people and they're so warm and humble and friendly and hospitable. And not just Muslims, but to answer your question, I just, you know, people. My biggest realization is that people are just so, they're just so cool. I mean, it's it's a very cliche thing to say, but it needs to be said because it's true that people are all the same. We all have the same wants and needs. Everybody needs to eat and sleep and laugh and love. But it's just like, it's it's very genuine when you meet with, when you go to some really faraway place in the middle of Angola where like few Westerners have ever been right. and you sit around a campfire and like, you know, you have nothing in common with these people except the fact that you're human. And um, you just get along, and it's cool. It's it's special experience. So that's that's my biggest realization is that everyone's just the same, pretty much. Wow! Can you share with me a few, uh, perhaps some crazy stories that happened to you throughout years of traveling? Something uh, that the define crazy, enjoy? like uh, but maybe, like a bus crash uh, in India. Is that crazy no, enough? Sure. Let's hear that one. Okay. Um, I was traveling in India 2015. I was that, at that point. I was a budget backpacker. I was doing 500 bucks a month for three months by myself. I was in Rajasthan province in the northwestern part, traveling from Udaipur to Jodhpur on an overnight 12-hour bus. Boarded the bus. It was a sleeper bus, so I was on the top bunk. Just as about out, I was going to fall asleep, and all of a sudden the bus driver slams on the brakes, turns the wheel all the way to the left. Bus flies two meters or, I don't know, six, seven feet off a hill, off of the freeway. All the windows shattered, dust flying everywhere. We were in the desert. Um... I had blood. I had uh, sandals on, so all the glass went in my foot. My foot was oh. all bloody, but that was, I was lucky that glass didn't hit me in the neck or anything. People were blood everywhere. Everyone's screaming, cr- screaming, crying. Had to get off the bus, and two people didn't make it. Um, I don't know that they died because I didn't see their faces, but they were trapped in the bus, and everybody kept doing this sign, like putting their hand by their neck, like they didn't make it. So I, you know, I think two people died, and another bus had to come pick me up and take me to the city. And I was just like shaken and messed up. So that was the scariest moment, I would say. Um, and that's that's it, I have a little bit of PTSD just thinking about that. That uh, I, I and I don't take any more night buses in countries like India because uh, you know a lot of those bus crashes happen and they go unreported. So you, you know it's it's scary to think about what would have happened if I didn't make it out there alive. You know. Right. And can you share with me perhaps? Uh, a happy story, a funny story, <laughs> or someone who yeah. showed you amazing kindness. Like, yeah, help me yeah, believe yeah, that the world's week. a good place. Yeah, yeah, that, that's an intense story. Um, yeah, last week, uh, no, two weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago, I was finishing up my trip in the Pacific Islands. So I was in Tonga. It was my last country there, uh, south of Fiji, in between Fiji and, Aust- and New Zealand. Right. Um, <clears throat> showed up there on a Sunday in the capital city called Nuka Alufa. And I was walking around, you know, and it was just completely dead. You could hear a pin drop. It was eerie. I thought there was a natural disaster or a terrorist attack. I, I was like, why? How could there be not a single person out in the middle of the 12 o'clock noon daytime? And then I came to realize by talking to people that the entire country closes on Sunday 
And it's the only country in the world where it's illegal in their constitution to work on Sunday. So if you're seen mowing the lawn, if you're seen opening up your shop, they take you to jail because it's a kingdom. So it's been a kingdom for years. And the king orders that, you know, it's a very Christian Catholic country. It's like 98% Catholic. And on Sundays, you only can go to church and you can only go home. And it was weird. So I, so anyways, that's the story of Tonga. So I was walking around on Sunday. I was hungry, starving. It was like 2 p.m. I haven't eaten yet. Right. And I was like, man, there's no restaurant stuff. What can I eat? So all of a sudden, I run into this dude about my age on the street. His name was uh, Mustafa. I was like, hey, man, what can I eat for lunch? I'm starving. He's like, nothing. Like, nothing's open. So he said, I can call my mom and she can bring you some local food if you want. I said, I said great. So he called his mom. She pulled up in a pickup truck, truck and gave us this amazing meal of, like, local spinach and chicken and this breadfruit. It's called breadfruit. It's, know, it's the kind of fruit they grow there. And yeah, we started chatting and um, he spoke perfect English, but he told me that I was the first American and first native English speaker that he's ever met. And I was shocked because he was like American, he sounded American. And yeah, we got along really well. And, and it was just an, an act of kindness that he, you know, offered his, his mom to bring me some food. I didn't even know that Tonga shuts down on Sunday and I actually turned it into a video. Like literally the title was like, this country closes on Sunday. So yeah, that was something recent that happened that was cool. Okay, and just uh, two more questions, if that's okay. Um, what are your travel essentials, like things you would never leave without? So my whole business is pretty much on my phone, on my computer, on my camera. Um, you know, nice camera and a drone. Um, but like, man, I travel so lightly. I have just a carry-on backpack. I have like four shirts, two pairs of underwear, three pairs of socks. I do laundry every couple days you know every five days right. but yeah i'm a minimalist man like aside from camera gear i have next to nothing so to answer your question what do i need to travel with besides a passport is just my computer phone and camera so there's no like uh one special item that you wouldn't aside from those things like um man aside from electronics like my bag is only electronics, camera, phone, uh, as I told you, and like five shirts. Have I have any, nothing else. Ever have any issues uh, traveling somewhere with a drone where it's illegal and stuff like that? I've never had any issues like getting a fine or a ticket or going behind bars, but I've been, I haven't, like, I have to enter these countries, mostly in Africa, because drones are banned in like every African country. And I, I'm always scared to enter in the airport, but I always get, get it in somehow. And, um, Never once have I been caught using it, but I'm very cautious about it. Like if it's super illegal in Morocco, right? So when I was in Morocco, I didn't fly it, for example. But they didn't have a problem with you bringing it in. Or they just didn't see it. They've I've never they've never been seen. Knock on wood. <laughs> they've never like opened it out and like, hey, you can't bring this in. So cool. yeah. Okay. I'm lucky. And last thing I would ask you is, um, there are many people who have hopes and dreams or passions, but they just don't don't really follow them like they perhaps they think it's impossible or it would be too difficult what would you say to those people yeah um i'll just say this it takes a certain person to do what i'm doing it's very difficult to be able to put yourself 24 7 in the spotlight you know a lot of people are introverts a lot of people don't want to be on camera a lot of people don't want to just be on social media and talk about their life 24 7 it's a lot of pressure and stress that I that I have, and I think it's very much not for everyone. But if you think you can do it, then go for it. And and the biggest key to everything is just be unique and be yourself. A lot of people try to be someone that they're not. 
fake Instagrammers. I have so many friends that are like, you know, you've seen it too. <clears throat> they post in the beautiful swimming pool and the hotel and it's like, cause they get it sponsored. But that content is just useless. It's meaningless. You just have to like find the things that you like and that you're passionate about. And, and if you love, if you're obsessed with coffee and you just love coffee so much, then start making content about coffee, go to coffee shops around the world, go to Ethiopia, go to Colombia and make content there. And yeah. that is something that you love to do. And eventually, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. I've been doing this for six years. I started my blog six years ago. I've been doing videos for two years, um, every day for two years. That's 600 something videos. So it takes a while, man, to, 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 it's a lot of patience, but anything can be done, but it just, a lot of people underestimate the workload that goes in this. They just see the final product. They just see the two minute video that goes online every day. And they don't realize that that took 16 hours to make, which is okay. I have no problem with that, but that's why a lot of people don't make it because they try it and then they're like, this is, and also you're not going to make money in the first year, right? And not a lot of people can just take a year. They're already so committed in their job that they can't, can't just take a year off. Luckily, when I graduated college, I neglected the corporate life like immediately right. and I taught English. So like, I guess I pat myself on the back that I, I realized that opportunity and I know that a lot of people don't do that or they haven't done that and it becomes harder and harder to do it, especially if you have a family, if you get more responsibilities, then it's nearly impossible. So it's a very, yeah, that's just that's just what's on my mind. But I just want to let everyone know listening to this that it's definitely not impossible to to do it. You just, just have to put in the time and effort, which a lot of people won't do. That's what it comes down to. Right, but you're quite close to having visited every country in the world. When you started, did you actually think that this was all possible? No, and I didn't have a goal to visit every country. When I was in Prague, I was just traveling around. Even when I went to Korea, I was still traveling around. I think once I hit about 80 countries, I was like, okay. And I had a couple friends who had been to every country just from networking through blogging. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, you know, I'm 23. <clears throat> I've been to 80 countries. I think I can, why not? You know, I have nothing to lose. I have no responsibilities, um, you know. And yeah, it's expensive, but I leveraged a lot blogging wise um in the early years i would get free hotels i would get free blah 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 and then um i traveled really cheaply for the first few years but then you know my income has gone up but i'm still frugal so i still like won't spend that much money on a hotel or a meal just um dude visas visas and flights cost me like a ridiculous amount of money last year and this year will probably be even more um you would not believe how much i spent in flights and visas it's it's insane that's probably like just flights and visas is probably 70% of all my life expenses. Wow. <laughs> just travel, life, whatever. Yeah. Oh, and just one thing I remember when you go back, you ever go back to the States to visit anyone? Three times a month, uh, three times a year. So I'm okay. going back next month. So yep. you go back there. They see you've been to Iran, North Korea, whatever. Are you like on a, uh, you know, anti-terrorism watch list or something like they ever get questioned and stuff like that? Uh, I've never been questioned at immigration, but I have global entry. So I just walk in, but I'm prepared for it. Like, and also I have nothing to hide. Right. I have a, you know, if I get, you know, in immigration, if they ask me a million questions, I'll say, it's, guys, listen, Google me. This. Yeah. I was exactly Google me. You can see my content. I have, you know, a billion video views. I inspire, you know, a lot of people and you know, what do you want from me? I'm not bringing cocaine into the country. So you can, you can search my bags. You can do whatever you want. So I'm not really worried about it, honestly. Well, good for you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with your travels. It's really been a uh, pleasure uh, talking to you. 
And please, uh, if you can, come back on when you're done, uh, when you've been all around the world. I would love to hear about that again. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, you having me. It was nice speaking together. And uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk again when, when I finish this thing. Safe travels. Yep. Thank you, man. See you later. That was Drew Binsky. If you want to find out more about him, you can visit his website. That's drewbinsky.com, D-R-E-W-B-I-N-S-K-Y.com. I believe he's also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Drew Binsky. I really hope that you enjoyed the interview. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, it's at Husidel. That's C-H-U-S-I-D-E-L. And obviously, we have the podcast accounts as well at you are not a goat. As always, I love hearing from you guys. So if anyone has any comments, feedback, criticism please send me a tweet. You can DM me whatever floats your goat. I respond to every single message. It may take me a couple days, but I will get to it. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends about it. Like, subscribe, share the podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. It helps the show grow. We are on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Podbean. Hopefully we're going to get into the Google Play Music store as soon as possible. So... Listen, enjoy, share it with your friends. My name is Shlomi Zions. You're listening to You Are Not a Goat, and we will see you next week. You are not a goat. The podcast for you.